Good morning everyone, thank you for uh, your very warm welcome for Sandy and Adele and Gillian and others just leading from the front in your worship and uh, praise the Lord for that I don't know who picked the songs this morning but one of the last songs we sung there is God is great and God performs great miracles that's actually my theme for today it's about one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed one of my little grandsons once said to me one day, Papa Jack, I'm in meltdown. I'm playing Skylanders and I've run out of booster points. I've no more lives left and it's meltdown. I'll need to press the reset button. And I said, what will that do? It'll give me more booster points. It'll give me more lives. And I said, I think that's what you should do then. It's interesting in the mind of this young boy, you know, this kind of pseudo unreal idea of meltdown was in his mind. But of course, in reality and in real life, I suspect we have all gone through meltdown in our lives at some point or another. And uh, we're going to look at that today, about a woman who went through meltdown in her life. And it often raises a question about, you know, what is life all about sometimes? What is the point of life? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? I think we've all asked these questions at some point or another in our life. And so I'm going to read just six verses this morning. It's from Luke chapter 7. And as the screen says, it's the raising of the widow's son. So in Luke chapter 7, there's only six verses. And we're starting at verse 11. If you want to keep your Bible open or if you use an iPhone um, or just like to listen, I'll be referring to some other verses too. That would be fine. So we're at verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples in the large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. He went up and touched the beer, or buyer, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread through Judea and the surrounding countryside. I want to do just four things this morning. What caused this woman's meltdown? How did Jesus respond to it? Why does Jesus perform and God perform miracles? Why? And have you ever asked for a miracle and it's never quite been performed? Ask for a miracle and God's never quite delivered. This miracle here we read off this morning is quite unique in some ways because it's only recorded in Luke's Gospel. The more famous miracles of resurrection in terms of physical resurrection recorded was Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. But probably the least well one known is the raising of the widow's son. Easily glanced over, John Barclay once said, Sir William Barclay once said, one of the loveliest gospel stories is this one in his view, because it's about God's love and compassion, and it's one of the very few miracles where Jesus takes all the initiative. I want you to remember that. No one asked him to do this. 
the mother never asked him to do it. So the meltdown was what then? Well, there were a number of meltdowns down she had. Four main ones I would suggest. The main first one is that she suffered loss. Loss is a terrible thing in life to suffer. She lost her family. She lost her only son. She had previously lost her husband. Loss is painful. If you've lost a loved one, you'll know that. If you lose your health, it's painful when you get that letter from the consultant. Treatment is needed. It's painful. If you lose your job, an email comes from the boss, leave your desk, your job is no longer there. It's painful. The loss of a marriage, the husband walks out and the wife and the family, or the wife does. A loss of a marriage is painful. Loss is a painful experience. The second area of loss is that she experienced grief. The feeling of it was very sore. The numbness, the shock, the pain, unable to cope. How am I going to get through life? Queen Victoria's husband died when he was only 42, Prince Albert. And she had never really recovered from that passing. And yet she was a queen for a huge empire as it was then. Shock can cause meltdown in her life and grief. She also suffered a terrible stigma because she was a widow. A stigma is anything that Satan uses as a black mark and a black cross that he places over you. He'll use anything to put a stigma on you, to put you down and give you the feeling as if you're not good enough. And that is still the same in some countries today. In Africa and in India... Widows in some areas are looked looked upon as a stigma. They're regarded as a black widow. I know a pastor in a city called Vijayawada, southern India, a huge city, and that is the case today. They dress in black. If you see one, you avoid them. You will have a bad day. They're a bad omen. That's how severe it is in some parts of the world today. Some suffer stigmas because of addictions. I know people who are drug addicts and alcoholics. If you have a criminal record, if you're unemployed, if you've got mental health issues, and there are many other things as well, suddenly you have a stigma. And it's difficult to lose at times. Youth can be a stigma. I have been in many churches and outside churches I've heard that said that this person is too young to be involved, or too old, or they're too in between. God, Satan will use anything to put a stigma on you, even youth. Timothy suffered a stigma of youth in his life when he was young, and he suffered a lack of confidence and respect through it. In fact, Paul writes to him First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example to the believers in speech, conduct, faith, purity. Use that to offset your stigma. Paul then wrote a letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when Timothy was going to be visiting that church. Verses 10 and 11, See to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. See to it that no one will refuse to accept him. It was all because of his youth. It was a stigma. This woman clearly suffered too a mental, sorry, a financial meltdown as well. No chance of work, very little hope of it. Who would provide food for her? Her world has fallen apart. That was the culture of the time. In fact, Isaiah and Amos even write about it. Isaiah chapter 1, he criticises the rich of the time in Israel for treating the widows so badly. 
At this funeral, there's no mention of two flute players. Generally, a Jewish funeral, two flute players would be at the front of the cortege playing the laments very much like we have today. No mention of that at all. Taxation was high in this woman's time. They were been crushed financially by the Romans. She had no right to ownership in this home either. Ownership in this time was very patriarchal. It went from the father to the son and not from the husband to the wife. This woman financially was in rock bottom. What did Jesus do then? What was his response? The first thing is that in spite of the crowds here, there were crowds behind this woman, there were crowds following Jesus, he saw the woman, he saw her. Jesus sees you today, where you are in your life. He sees you in this place today. The psalmist says in 139, You know me when I sit, when I rise, when I walk, you perceive my thoughts from afar, my words before they leave my mouth. God knows everything about you, your DNA, your height, your weight, your blood pressure, your heart kidney function. God sees you. He knows everything about you. One day God came looking for Adam and Eve and they hid from God and he said, why are you hiding from me? And Adam said, I was afraid I was naked and I hid from you. Are we hiding from God when he's looking on looking for us today. Even in a church you can hide from God. I was in a church for many years, my earlier days in church meant nothing because I was hiding from God. You can do that even in a church. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he may still be heard. Second thing that he did was he saw but he touched the buyer. This is a wooden plank that the corpse would be, held on, would, would be held on. He touched the buyer. A very shocking thing for him to do. In Mark 1 and 40, a, a leper came to Jesus one day and he said, if you are willing, you can heal me. The leper wasn't sure if Jesus would do it. If, but if not, if you don't want to do it, this is just the story of my life. It's been rejection all my life. I'll just walk down the road and whatever. I'm on the scrap here. But Jesus said, I am willing. And he touched him and with compassion. And he healed him. Jesus wants to touch our lives today. The world won't make it easy for you to see Jesus and for you to allow Jesus to touch you in your life. The world won't make it easy. A man called Bartimaeus, who was blind, came to Jesus one day and he said, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus touched him and he healed his, his vision. But the crowd said to him and rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Don't annoy this man, Jesus, a miracle maker. Don't annoy him. Get out of the way. The world won't make it easy if you want to touch and see Jesus today. The third thing that he did is that he spoke to the corpse. Now, quite amazing what he did in verse 14. Young man, I say to you, get up. God wants to talk to us today. Get up. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. That was the son's instant response. An amazing story. It begs the question, why does God perform miracles then? Because I really want to drive into this theme of miracles as well, because this is an amazing one. And it really is to demonstrate many things. I've only put some issues up here to do with the wonderful attributes that God has. He wants to demonstrate his supremacy, his majesty, his sovereignty, his glory, 
his love, his compassion, his power, his grace, his holiness, his victory over death, and we will come to that. That's why God, there are many reasons why God wants to perform miracles. But we'll have to remember that when he does it and how he does it and if he does it, is it God's prerogative? Is it God's prerogative? We can't trade with God. We can't barter with God. We can't say to God, if I do this, will you do this miracle for me? It doesn't work like that. God is a far greater power than we are. And it's his, his discretion, it's his it's his prerogative if he performs a miracle. Should we pray for miracles? Absolutely. All day long. Pray for healing. Pray for your families. Pray for loss in your family. Pray for health. Pray for your church. Pray for your community. I've heard many of you do that today. Absolutely all day long. Pray to God for miracles in our lives, in our churches, and in this world today. Many people follow Jesus. Many big crowds followed Jesus. We just read that. There's a crowd behind them. Most of them did it to see miracles of healing. And that really didn't impress Jesus at all. That's the only reason we're coming to Jesus. And it was for many of these crowds. God really is not interested in that. If that's all we are interested in. You know in Matthew 12 and 38. The Pharisees said to Jesus. Teacher we want to see one of your miraculous signs from you. There is a big difference between what we want in life. And what we need in life. They had already experienced and witnessed many miracles. But they still wanted more. In John 12 and 37 Jesus said after Jesus had done all these miracles in their presence. They would still not believe him. It's one of the most defining verses in this sermon. They would still not believe him. Luke 16 and 31 if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead verse 42 of Luke 16 they they would not confess, confess their faith to God they loved praise from men rather than from God they were more interested in the big show of the miracles that's a key point to this so the, let's take the cynical view in this today, the world's view, because I want to do that. You know, the widow didn't ask for this miracle to be performed. We saw that. Jesus it took all the initiative. Why does Jesus therefore not provide all kind of miracles in your life and in my life today? Well, let's answer that question and let's say God did that. And just press of a request, God just did it. People would be following God for the miracles. How boastful would we become? This church would be filled this morning. There would be queues out with that door. And every church on a Sunday morning for the miracles. That's not what the Christian faith is about. You know that. That is not what it is about. Luke 17 verse 17. Ten lepers, you know this story. Ten lepers were healed by Jesus one day. And one of them came back to give God thanks for that miracle. Remember what Jesus asked? Where are the other nine? Where are they? They had forgotten. They were ungrateful until the next crisis came, the next miracle they wanted. That is a cynical view. That's the answer to that. It's not about us here. What we want and then we're boasting, look what God did for me. But look what he did for you. We'll be comparing, comparing. It'll be a comparison process. 
focusing is going through here. It's not about that. In Luke 23, 8, when Jesus was tried by Herod Antipas, part of his trial process, it says that Herod wanted to see Jesus and hoped that he would perform some miracle. You know, Jesus didn't even do a miracle for Herod. He didn't even answer him. He didn't even speak to him. It's the only occasion in the Gospel where Jesus didn't actually speak to him and refused to speak to Herod. Verse 11, Herod then ridiculed and mocked Jesus along with his soldiers. That's where Herod's heart was. That tells you a measure for the man and about the man. Final point this morning is this saying, what was the point of this miracle then? What was the point of it? This miracle points to another widow who also had a son who died. The other widow was Mary, the mother of Jesus. The son was Jesus. He would die and he would perform the most wonderful miracle of all time by dying and then raising himself from the dead. The motive being to demonstrate his love and compassion and salvation for the world, for you and for I. And Jesus wants to ask us into our life this morning because of that. John 5 and 25, a time is coming and is now coming, this is today. A time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear him will live. If you are hearing the word of God today, allow him to touch your lives. God will come into your life today. It's not just about a physical resurrection. It's about a spiritual resurrection from death to life. That's what Jesus was doing here in this resurrection, plus his other two physical resurrections. They want to give, to give him a preamble of what he was going to do when his mother was a widow, when she must have been crushed as well to hear the news. When Jesus told his disciple about this death and the resurrection, they were distraught when he told them the news. No one asked Jesus to go to the cross. No one asked Jesus to die for you. I didn't ask him. You didn't ask him. In fact, the disciples were trying to retract him from doing it. Peter said, I'll go for you. His head was all over the place. Like this miracle here and then, Jesus just did it. He took all the initiative because of his love for you. He knew our need deeper than we knew ourselves. We would still be squirming in the mire if it wasn't for Jesus taking initiative and just doing it. And all he wants for us this morning is to respond to that. I often wonder what happened to the widow and the son after this. We read nothing about them. We don't even know their name. I would be amazed if their life had not completely changed. It certainly did in this day. I would be amazed and flabbergasted if they didn't follow the Lord after because of what they did. If they genuinely took Jesus into their heart, their life would have changed. But the same for the crowd. Some of the crowd would not have accepted Jesus. A miracle is just about the miracle. That's all it was. And if our lives are just about God doing great things and miracles, but we have no faith, we've missed the point. We need to be born again spiritually. Final point in Ephesians 2 and 1. If you were dead in your transgressions and your sin, because of the great love God has for us, who is rich in mercy and has made us alive in Christ. That's what it's about today. 
If you don't have Jesus in your life, you are dead and you're spiritually dead. You need to be born again. You need to come to life again. Just like Jesus demonstrated in this story here and as he did at the cross. I'm just going to close there. I'll then pray and we'll hand over to Sandy or Jillian and Adele. Let's just do that before we sing our final song. Lord, dear Lord, we just thank you for this amazing miracle. You can do miracles today just like you did then. You can do miracles in our lives today, Lord, but it's all about you, Lord. It's your discretion, but if people call upon the name of the Lord, you will in no way cast them out, as Isaiah said, and you will create a miracle in individuals' lives today, and you will still do that, Lord, if people just respond to you and ask you into their life. The great miracle of salvation can still take place today, but it needs us just to take that first step and do that. So we just pray we would do that, Lord, and if we've already done that, we want to look back in reflection from that day that we asked you into our life. We thank you for that day. We just want to praise your name, Lord, for loving us, for dying us, for rising and raising from the dead. And you are now ascended at the right hand of God. We praise your name for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.